All right, welcome everybody to episode 125 of the MX Vice Show. We have an action-packed show ready for you today as we look back at the MXGP of Spain and um, sort of take stock of the state of play in MXGP after another fascinating round with plenty of storing lines. I'm Ed Strapman, your host, and the first part of the show is brought to you by Parts Europe. Um, Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport. Tagline is fortified through the Thor and Moose house brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Calvin Landrum, Prado, Langenfelder, Guadagnini, Jonas, Bogers, and nine times world champ Tony Caroli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross bike. So check out their website at partseurope.eu. And with a dealer network of over 10,000 shops, we're sure there's one close to you. All right, for this episode, we've got Jason Thomas back, mate. Um, preparing for the last round of Supercross and uh, sort of unwinding what another big weekend of MXGP. How's life? Not too bad, man. Just uh, ready to... Ready to wrap this series up. It's a long slog, and uh, I'm sure you know MXGP is the same. It's just they're they're still a little bit more early days. Uh, but anybody near the end of any series uh, has the same type feeling I have right now. It's not that you don't want to be there. It's just the the grind of it, the hotels and the airports, and all the the little things that most people don't think about starts to really wear you down after four or five months straight. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, cheers for joining us again. And um, yeah, another hurling sort of masterclass on the weekend. He's, he's just motoring, yeah. wasn't he? Another three overalls now and sort of just almost playing games with the, the competitors. Obviously, he said he also sort of let Prado have the Saturday win and let him have his home moment in front of the in front of the fans. And then I'll bring it tomorrow. And that's exactly what he did um, to get win 102, break the record. And yeah, pretty impressive effort, wasn't it, mate? What was your take on it? Yeah, it was interesting to me that he's showing a lot of patience. Um, you don't really see a lot of urgency in his riding right now, which to me just shows where his confidence level is. Um, he doesn't really ha- feel like he has to get to the front very early. And he knows that who he's racing against, they're probably not going to pull a 20-second lead. Now, if Prado had gotten out front and started pulling away early, I think maybe that changes a little bit. But if, if it's Fernandez or Sewer or one of these guys, I, I just don't think they put a lot of fear into him about disappearing into the sunset. So he looked like he just starts to ramp up slowly and picks the pace up, and then it gets to a point where those guys can't sustain it, and he goes to a level they can't go to, and then he rides away from them. It's, it's really impressive to watch. Yeah, he's he's pretty formidable, and obviously it was a it was a big weekend um, for injuries too. Obviously with Tomac over there, and and obviously Renault and Fevre. Fevre looks like he'll be fine, just a concussion. He really wanted to race, apparently, and like was super keen. Um, but yeah, they just said no, the no medical clearance for him with concussions, which is understandable, but puts a massive dent in his title hopes. And obviously Renault with the foot, which was obviously he he'd suffered a shoulder and had some other things going on. Uh, so yeah, it was a pretty rough weekend all around, wasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a challenging series. But, you know, it's funny, even with those guys out, and those are two championship contenders, as you mentioned, there's still so much parity in this field. Uh, just go down the list, and I'm comparing it to where our – the state of Supercross right now, where everybody's out almost going into this Salt Lake round. It's, the field is completely annihilated. Yeah. There's still a lot of depth in MXGP, and uh, so that's that makes it fun to watch. Um, I, I – still really enjoy it. And, and you just have to kind of shift your focus a little bit. Uh, to me, watching a guy like Guadagnini really have a great weekend proves that there's still so much talent that's hidden in this field. And yes, he hasn't been in the front all that often this, this season, but you give him good starts and he can stay there. So 
Um, I, I really enjoy that about MXGP. It's been that way for a while where there are lots of different guys that, yeah, on a, on a given weekend, maybe they aren't there, but if they're feeling it and they get good starts, they can run the pace. Um, you know, there've been so much talk about Calvin Volanderen and really, we didn't see a lot of them this past weekend, right? He was lingering there five, six, seven, eight, you know, ninth position, but it wasn't his weekend to really shine where some of these other guys uh, really kind of stepped up. We saw Seward at the beginning of the little bit of the race, but yeah. uh, Guadagnini to me was, it was really his time to kind of come to the, to the front and, and, you know, make his voice heard. Yeah. Well said, he's obviously had a couple of starts already and thrown it down and that uh, was good to see him piece together there. The, the motos because um yeah he said i think he lorenzo I was chatting to him and he said when he he was eight years old when hurlings got his first podium and he remembers watching that and he said <laughs> it was a pretty cool moment to um sort of be there on the podium and in the press conference standing there next to him but yeah he handled those that tricky track uh pretty well with his long legs and the big ruts and he was quite precise and measured and like you could see when he hurlings went past him he he sort of knew that that was probably enough but he sort of held the pressure off for a little bit from those guys and um yeah, just that track, it was pretty, pretty tough. Um, a lot of riders don't like that one. Obviously, Calvin was uh, saying it's his least favourite uh, to us. And yeah, he sort of a bit of damage limitation on a surface like that. But yeah, pretty sketchy ruts and jump faces and the grandstands, uh, even though they were good and the, they were quite close to the track. So definitely threw up a few you know, near near misses. So what did you think of the track just in general quickly? Yeah, it's, it's challenging. Um, if that was a race in America, you would hear so much complaining. Uh, it would probably, you probably, probably all you would hear, uh, because we don't, we don't have racetracks like that anymore. As soon as it hardened up like that, they would throw water down and they would bring out a big tractor with a disc on the back and, and take all those ruts out. So it's a track where for me as a racer, when I, I put that hat on, I would hate it. Uh, it would not be very much fun. It's tricky, treacherous, but as a spectator and as a former racer, it's really interesting to watch because I can understand the skill level that it takes to go really fast. Um, for all of the reasons I would hate it are also all of the reasons why I have so much respect for those guys going that speed because I, I can absolutely understand how difficult it is. Um, so, yeah, two different levels. It just depends on the, the lens that I'm looking through and the perspective I want to have at it. I, I can say, yeah, it looks terrible. I wouldn't want to ride that at all. But then on a pure spectator level and intrigue, I'm like, man, these guys are so talented to be able to go that fast. You know, you, you wouldn't think that going in a straight line in a rut is incredibly difficult, but the speeds they're going, hitting bumps, the balance required is just something that most people aren't going to ever be able to relate to. But um, I'm fortunate that I can, and, and those guys are really, really good at it. Yeah, that's a good point because you, hear, you heard um, Paul referencing it a lot in the commentary saying like, it's it's enough for those ruts or the way they are. And then obviously they develop and obviously there's little bits of, you know, dirt and mud from the watering or whatever that that's sort of that's another thing that throws up. They're inside that rut and then that's that's sort of making it even more difficult. So um and you saw like a lot of that roost was pretty heavy, um, blokes copping it pretty hard all day. And just obviously they like obviously it's not a great track to race for a lot of people, but the the location near the airport, near the shopping center, the facilities are good. It's got grandstands, like it's a it's a great sort of event for the Madrid area and for the sport because it's pretty accessible and obviously they get a lot of mainstream media coverage. So it's probably, it's definitely important to have a Spanish track, isn't it? With Prado and Fernandez and a lot of good young riders in Spain coming through. Yeah. And for those who would say, you know, I don't like the track. I don't like this about it. And it's man-made. My advice would be to sort out what you don't like and get better at it because I, I really think, 
there are going to be more events like this in the future for all of the reasons you mentioned. Uh, it's, it's how the sport will grow, you know, having a race at a track that's in the middle of nowhere, that's incredibly difficult to get to just, I, th I think in motocross in 10 or 20 years, you're going to have less and less of that. Um, it's just, they want to make it accessible. They want this, the sport to grow. They want as many eyeballs on it as possible. How do you do that? You go to metro areas where everybody can show up and it's, there are amenities and airports and hotels and all these things. So I don't know if it's the, the best thing ever for, you know, the like old school legacy type tradition of the sport. I a hundred percent agree with that, but I don't think that's going to win out. If there, if there's a fight between tradition and moving the sport forward, I would have to think that moving the sport forward is going to win every time. Yeah, absolutely. And just even something like parking uh, was apparently a breeze there, which is, yeah, has a lot of issues in, in that sport, in the sport around the world. And I just wanted to get your take on um, Hurling's doing all these extra races, mate. Um, you think it's necessary? Oh, yeah. um, obviously, he's doing Fox Hill this weekend. He's obviously an animal and he still wants to get to that 100% um, feeling of intensity and getting those gate drops. And it's like he's making up for lost time, isn't he? And he even mentioned about, you know, can I do the AMA and then come back and do the Dutch championship? Like, it's it's pretty wild, isn't it? I'm torn. I'm torn on it. Uh, on one hand, I understand it's it's almost like revenge racing where he was so <laughs> cooped up for so long. He just wants to race everything. And I, I relate that to how COVID was where everybody was had quarantine. And it's just like, okay, if you let me out, I'm traveling nonstop for as long as I possibly can. And that's kind of where Jeffrey is with his racing habits right now. But I also think, you know, every time you take a gate drop, there is, there is risk. You know, the, mm. the odds of getting hurt at a race, in my opinion, are much higher then they are training. You know, there are other riders and gate drops and things like tough blocks that we have in Supercross and just, you know, course markers, I guess, in, in motocross. But just to me, it's an elevated level of risk that I don't really think he needs to take. Um, there are plenty of motocross, you know, uh, MXGP events to race. And let's face it, he's paid to win MXGP World Championships. That's what... Yeah. KTM and Red Bull and Alpine Stars and his biggest supporters, that's what they care about most. And if you're going to be doing things that could possibly impede that, I think everybody's like, okay, that, that sounds okay, but let's not lose sight of what the real goal is because you want to go race the British championships, right? Which in its own world, in its own element for riders like Tommy Searle and some of these guys, you know, uh, Adam Sterry, great. Great series. But for Jeffrey Hurlings, who is 102 GP wins and going after he, – he's chasing legends, right? He's chasing the history books. It's probably unnecessary. And, and I should not be the one to tell him what to do or what not to do. It's just that's my perspective on it. Maybe it's a little bit too much, right? Save your energy for what really matters. Yeah, obviously. And obviously any financial incentive, he probably doesn't really need to do those, even though I'm sure there's quite a decent check yeah. in it. But it just seems – um. A little, a how little many like, rental houses oh. do you need? <laughs> how many yeah. rental houses is he going to buy from ra racing in Foxwoods or wherever it happens to be? Or yeah, Fox yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you saw what happened in Trentino. Like he almost got swallowed up with Fevra and, you know, Fevra had yep. that start crash this weekend. And yeah, it's such a fickle sport, isn't it? It can, and, and it can just sort of bite you so badly. Like we saw with Simon Langenfeld going 1-1 in an absolutely sensational ride and then breaking his arm this week and he's going to be out for a while. So yeah, it sort of puts yep. it into perspective just what he's doing. And I like that point about the revenge racing and, and obviously then about the, the parody beforehand because you've obviously got Hurlings, Prado, Fevre, Renault, Fernandez, Kolbnoff, Guadagnini with podiums so far. Um, 
we are probably not going to get the seven winners like we did last year for sure, but uh, just sort of a take on even like a Coldenhoff. His ride was exceptional. The the results didn't show it on the weekend, but he was charging, probably got getting held up a little bit because it was quite hard to pass on that track. You really had to set it up or get a bit aggressive. So, yeah, just to take on Coldenhoff's ride, it was a bit under the radar, but he's still showing that he's um one of the big Yamaha guys, even though he's a bit unheralded compared to the, the big guys these days. Yeah, you know, for Glenn, I think – at, at races like this one, uh, it's not perfect for what he does well, right? He he excels when the, the dirt's a little bit softer and a little bit more conducive. So I think if he can hover around that top five and just kind of peek in at the podium here and there on tracks like this, then that's doing really well because he's then, you know, capitalized when the situation sets up for you nicely. Same thing for, for Volanderen. You have to really, you know, when the track is – dialed in for you really take advantage of it and and every every racer knows what tracks are good for them and what aren't and if you can if you can manage the bad days and and when i say bad days it's just where conditions aren't ideal for you if you can manage those and put in a decent result then really focus on capitalizing when everything's lined up for you that's to me how you put together a really good series so when you look back over the course of an entire championship and you know it's seven or eight months of racing these guys are going through if not longer you're not, you're not going to remember an individual day, an average day in Spain. You're not going to really think about it. You're going to look at the points and go, okay, this is not too bad. And, and it's like the accumulation of just decent days and logging those points in there. And then late in the season, you're like, man, I'm, I'm right in this thing. And, and you can really make a push at something. Along the way, you get Renault bows out. Fevra misses a couple of races. We all know Jeffrey's history of domination and also missing races, right? So you never know when an opportunity is going to pop up and you just kind of have to hang around. You just have to be, you know, and Chad Reed's famous quote, you have to be in it to win it, right? You don't have to yeah. be the best guy every single weekend. You just have to be there at the end, just like Chase Sexton and Supercross yeah. right now. Three weeks ago, everybody counted him out, including me. Uh, and now we're going to this weekend. He didn't, even, he doesn't even have to race championships over. He's mathematically already locked it in. So it's, uh, it's crazy how fast things can turn. But again, you just have to be, hanging in there and getting those points every single weekend and make sure that you're around when things go your way. Yeah. Nice one. And would you say that sort of rings true for Prado this weekend, obviously doing well in the qualifying race and then going two five for fourth overall, probably not what he had in mind for his home GP, I guess you could say, but um, like you say, he's just got another decent haul of points. He's still leading the championship by six by six over Jeffrey. who's really coming strong now. Um, Just sort of a well-managed weekend or would you say a missed opportunity for him? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm sure he wasn't happy, especially with the fifth and race two. But, you know, if, if you're always – and I'm a big believer in this. You have to find silver linings, you know, on difficult days. And you leave with the points uh, championship lead, and you won the qualifier on Saturday. And, yeah, okay, two fives, not awful. Um, and I think everybody in this class has the same perception of Jeffrey is when he's healthy and is at 100%, Godspeed to all of us you know, how, how do we beat him? That's why he has the most GP wins, but it's been few and far between years where he's been able to put it all together throughout the entire season. So again, you win when you can, you keep, you know, you, you still have the red plate. You're the championship leader until someone tells you otherwise. And in the back of your mind, you're always wondering, is Jeffrey going to make it all the way through this thing? He's racing every 48 hours right now. You know, is he going to be able to string together month upon month upon month of this level of domination. I don't know, right? Nobody knows that. As long as you do what you do and you keep 
you know, you stay in the front of the championship. What else do you really have to worry about? And that's a, you know, you're kind of have blinders on when you're, when you're thinking about it, but you almost have to, you just kind of control what you can control. Because if you think you're just going to go in and take the fight to Jeffrey and go beat him, that's a really tough ask. And you might get, you might be really frustrated along the way. Yeah, absolutely. The mindsets uh, and the approach these guys take, it has to, there's a lot that goes into it. And it, there is a lot of pressure and nerves that they're dealing with, I'm sure. And just, it was quite, quite interesting to see Prado didn't get, didn't get the whole shots on the motos. Obviously, Jeremy yeah. Sewer got them both. Um, obviously, had some food poisoning, a bit of illness, so he faded a bit in those races, um, which is sort of, you know, you don't usually see that unless there's a reason, which there is. If, if you're getting a start like that, you expect podium finishes, and he does too. But uh, Jeremy's weekend, um, yes, another sort of points fall, but, yeah, it's just not quite happening for him to start the year. Bad luck, um, mistakes. It's usually great the second half of the season, but, yeah, it's... A, bit of a tough one again isn't it yeah especially when you get the whole shots like that yeah you know if you're if you're sick and and you know you have no strength left you almost want to start like 15 and then no one pays attention to you if you're struggling and your lap times are off and nobody even sees it anyway but when you start first and you know he's he's been so good for so long and you just get pushed back and pushed back and, and people are going around you the optics are just bad. Like everyone, you know, his, the people that matter most, his employers understand he's sick and not right, but it's optics are just really tough to get around when you start first and end up 10th or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he was really frustrated and, and he's probably going, you looking at it going great of all the days I'm going to get two whole shots. It has to be today. Like really like this is, this is really what's going to happen. Um, so hopefully they figured something out with, you know, the motorcycle or the clutch or whatever. And it's something he can sustain because he, yeah, he's not going to have food poisoning forever. No, absolutely. And just there yeah, three Italians in the top 10, obviously um, with Guadagnini, Ferrato and Lapino. Good to see, good to see that on the weekend and Rio getting his fourth top 10 in a row, which is very impressive given, you know, his team, he was saying probably has a fifth of the budget of the factory teams, the old SR Honda. So uh, just thoughts on those guys and just, how impressive it is just to get a top 10 in this class. It's, it's not easy, is it? No, no. You look at the field, and uh, I think you just have to be opportunistic. Um, similarly to what's going on in, in AMA Supercross right now, the field is really beaten up, and there are opportunities across the board. Um, that, that situation hasn't arrived yet for MXGP, but it could, right? We lost Renault. February will be back. But guys get hurt. It's just an unnecessary – or, excuse me, an unfortunate fact of this sport is that the attrition rate's really high. And if you can stay on your best form and take advantage of opportunities when they arise, you can put in some of your best results. And, and going into Salt Lake City here in America, I wrote about this earlier today, is you can't control who's racing. That's completely out of anything you can control – but what you can do is be your absolute best. So when a, a, an opportunity comes up like this Saturday will in Salt Lake city, and you have a chance to go out there and get a seventh or an eighth for these guys that are full privateers, not getting much help. Those are races that you'll never forget. And whether for, for guys like Ferrato and these guys, it's not there yet, but maybe later in the season, whatever, like when, when that door opens, you have to be ready to walk through it. You know, you can't be caught flat footed, when that opportunity because it doesn't happen all that often it's not every year where the field really takes you know uh, injuries take a toll on the field and you have your chance and uh, i i remember that from my own racing like there were days where i'm like i just i don't know how i'm gonna score championship points here and then there were other days like wow the, like there's a real opportunity here and i need i need to seize it um and being aware 
is, you know, one of the biggest factors of that is just understanding the situation at hand. So for those guys, yeah, great, great job. Um, and they're, they're still in a almost full field. So uh, it makes it even more impressive. Yeah. Well said. And um, just got to, before we sort of press for time here, but just a quick question from uh, one of the, one of the readers, uh, Christoph Tomacek was just wanting to know with top riders like February Renault injured in the qualifying race and uh you know, the the not so warm welcome of it in, of it in general. Do you think the promoters get rid of it but uh, or or leave it? Obviously they're probably invested in it now. But uh, your thoughts on that one? I think it's here to stay. Uh for better or for worse. You know, that's I don't necessarily have an opinion on if it's bad or good for the riders of the sport. Um but you know, I think there are some financial incentives for it to be around, make it more of a weekend event. Um, it certainly helps the organizer to have two days of revenue versus one. Uh, so given all those things, yeah, I, you know, I, I hate to see those guys get injured. It's unfortunate that it happened on Saturday. You know, there's a lot more racing on Sunday that goes on than Saturday. But I, I do think it's here to stay. Yeah, I think you're pretty spot on with that. It's a, yeah, it's a divisive topic, but still nonetheless very interesting to talk about. Um Quick, quick little MX2 chat before before you got a jet off. But um, yeah, Simon was flawless. Um, handled that track so well. Was really smooth and calm and consistent. And yeah, another day for Yago where he's where he's just got another points haul and extended his points lead and just did everything right, which is what what you want from him. He had that small tip over at the end there, but yeah, nothing too major. But yeah, great weekend for him and another one uh, up podium for Adamo. He's super impressive by him. He's really just building and consistent and staying there all the time and still pushing hard at the end of the motos. And yeah, you'd have to think Kai Wolf and Beniston a missed opportunity again. It's just tough for, for those guys and tough, tough to pass and they're pushing the limit, especially Kai. And yeah, it's strange seeing Beniston not getting a podium on that kind of a track like we mentioned last yep. week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Beniston, I, I expected a lot more out of. And uh, you never know unless they're unless they're transparent on what's going on, if it was just a bad day or there can be things going on that we don't know about, but yes, on the surface, I absolutely expected Beniston to be on the podium. Uh, so it caught me uh, off guard that he wasn't um, Langenfelder. Imagine having the race of your life on Sunday and then you break your arm in short order and you're out of the championship for a while. Um, it's just what a brutal turn of events. Um yeah, yeah, there's really no words. I'm sure he couldn't believe it as he was on the, his way to the hospital, wherever he happened to be practicing. And uh, But, yeah, his performance on Sunday was amazing. Uh, that's easily the best I've ever seen him ride. He was – his lap times were on pace with the MXGP mm. guys. Uh, he just looked the part. That was an incredible performance from him and shines light onto what's possible for him. So if you are – if you are, you know, his, his boss is over at Red Bull Gas Gas, you, yes, you're devastated at the injury, but you're also like, well, if it, that's, that's the guy, like, that's our guy. We get back to that level, you know, a broken arm is not anything crazy, right? It's a six, eight week injury, no big deal, but that's the guy you want going for MX2 world championships right there. Uh, so I think that was a really defining moment for him. Uh, Yago, that's exactly what you want to see on a day where you just don't have it don't press, don't do anything stupid where you're going to throw away a championship that you have firmly in your grasp at this point of the series. Uh, and I think that's just him maturing. Yago two or three years ago would have probably crashed. Uh, he would have been too angry, too offended that he couldn't stay with Wangenfelder, who I believe he views as sub, you know, subpar to him, right? Yago thinks he should beat him at all times. 
but some guys just are on it that day and you have to be willing to accept going, you know, getting a ton of points, you know, 40 plus points and move on because look what happened the next week, right? Had you done something stupid, crashing, wasting your effort, and then Langenfelder's now out, what was the point of that, right? And that's just a maturity process that will serve him well as he goes to MXGP. And you have to be able to just take the points and move on on a given day. And uh, yeah, so as much as I was like disappointed that he wasn't quicker and he lost by 20 seconds in one of the races, I also applauded the maturity level and say, okay, that's okay. He doesn't get any more points for winning by 20 seconds, right? He could have finished a wheel in front of you and everything stays the same. Um, so that's just, it, it's one more step in the growth process, uh, for Yago. And, um, yeah, for Adamo, he's really impressed me. I didn't know what to expect from him this year. Um, I probably was a little, uh, my expectations were lower than this. Um, so yeah, he's, he's doing a great job. I think he's doing exactly what is expected of him. Be a podium guy. And if you can do that, I don't think anybody came and said, you, you know what? We're going to put you on this team and you're going to be world champion. Of course, they want that. They would love that. But that's not the expectation. The expectation is to continue to improve, continue your growth trajectory and get, get you know, uh, several podiums throughout this year and then set yourself up to maybe be looking at a world championship down the line because Yago is going to be gone soon, right? And then it's anybody's race in the, is this, this MX2 class. So I think Adamo is, is putting himself in good position. As we transition to 2024, everybody's going to be pointing to he and Langenfelder and a few of these guys to say, okay, who's up? You know, is it, is one of the Coonan brothers going to make that huge step forward? Yeah. Or is it going to be one of these guys that are in succession here waiting? Benestan, there's, there's a bunch of guys that could all lay claim mm -hmm. to this thing. So I think it's a, it's a really critical year for them to get experience and learn what it's going to take for them to be champion next year. Yeah. It's a good perspective. Obviously uh, Adamo, I've spoken to him a couple of weeks ago and he was sort of like, you know, that podium in Mantova last year maybe came too soon because it raised the expectations and he didn't sort of replicate that again last year. Um, and now this year, it was just like the team put no pressure on. Um, they just sort of wanted me to patiently build and do my work with Smets and Prado. And, yeah, it's obviously paying off. And, yeah, you admit he had struggles with the bike, but they it clearly look like they're pretty sorted now. And, yeah, just uh, just sort of a, a overall thoughts on heading into France. Um yeah, Nick, not this weekend, the one after. It's pretty hard to see anyone stopping Yago and Jeffrey at this point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I got to jump off here in just a second. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, France is not all that dissimilar from what we saw this weekend, another hard pack track, um, similar conditions. Um, so, yeah, I kind of expect more of the same. I think Yago will dominate this series. You know, I've been saying that all along. He doesn't have to win every race to have a 100-point lead when it's all said and done. Um, and I think you're going to see more of that. And then good luck stopping the Jeffrey train, right? I, I truly believe the only person that can stop Jeffrey from winning this championship is Jeffrey. Uh, Prado has been great. He's been your points leader pretty much all along here, but over, you know, this series is so incredibly long, right? We're not even in the summer yet. And then this, we race all the way into the fall from XGP and so many things change. And you just look at the way things are trending and it's impossible to think Jeffrey's not beginning the start of a big run here where he just takes over and starts dominating the series. So uh, we'll see. Again, if if anyone is to beat Jeffrey Hurlings, I, I believe it truly has to be Jeffrey. Yeah, well said. Yeah, thanks for your time, Matt. I know you've got to duck off, um, get to that last Supercross race. So all the best, and we look forward to speaking soon, mate. And I'll, as you duck off, I'll just do the sponsor read. So 
Yeah, we'd like to thank Monster Energy, Fox Racing, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and of course, even Strokes for all the all their support. As without them, none of this would be possible. Thanks again, JT, and all the best, mate. Okay, guys, see ya.